All right, welcome to another podcast of NST and Things. Uh, I am Casey Smith, and uh, it's been a little bit of a stretch of time since we did one of these last. So, um, if uh, I don't think I mentioned it last time on the previous podcast, but um, oh, actually, I probably did. Uh, wedding planning. Uh, I have been married now for two weeks. I have this heavy thing on my left hand. Feels kind of weird, uh, but it feels good. I like it. So I uh, basically have a pile of notes here of topics, things, patient notes, etc. cetera, uh, some interesting things I was finding, and then I have uh, uh, kind of some Q&As too. So um, I think today we're going to do some Q&As, and then... Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about patient trust, uh, building that trust, um, and, you know, just kind of working on, or how to work on, uh, more of that patient therapist type relationship and how, um, building trust, uh, uh, between the two of you, uh, will help their, um, I mean, overall experience uh, while in your care, but also, um, I have found, uh, to be more accepting to the changes that are happening to their body and, um, to be better educated about that, um, really means a lot to people. So we'll dive into a little bit of that, but, um, to start, let's kind of get some of the, the Q and A's out of the way. And there is one that, uh, is just kind of nice and simple. Um, a friend of mine had asked, how does your work differ from other modern medicines? Uh, and why does it make sense and work? Um, this is a extremely common question, um, that I would probably say every new patient <clears throat> that comes into the clinic, uh, will ask, especially after we get past some of the, um, you know, postural measurements and get into, uh, more of kind of what's going on with their body and, and trying to explain to them uh, in the simplest form we can how their body is reacting or maybe how their body has, you know, potentially dealt with a, a certain trauma uh, or a, a variety of overuse or misuse. And the, I guess I'll start by saying that neurosomatic therapy, um, you could say in a nutshell, and I'll kind of explain each one of these is it's a hybrid between massage, um, I guess in a sense, physical therapy, um, and I'll say chiropractic, not in the sense that we do adjustments, but more so in the fact that we, we do look at the bony structure. Um, we rely on the bony structure to give us guidance as to what the soft tissue is doing. Um, but neurosomatic therapy is taking, um, bits of different modalities and we have weaved them together and you could say we may be taken the best parts of all these little modalities and kind of pieced them together and what we end up with is this soft tissue form of therapy that is you know similar to massage we use massage type strokes um, we'll do trigger point re release we'll do some myofascial work um, uh, some trigger point work and then like I had mentioned previously, it kind of segues into, okay, well, 
there's a bit of the chiropractic aspect because, you know, we are looking at the structure, you know, what's the spine doing? What's the pelvis doing? Um, but then we go past that and we say, okay, well, what's the cranium doing as well? And that's where, um, we start to differ, I guess you could say from a lot of traditional thinking. And that is, you know, the, the cranium is fixed. Um, muscles just kind of break down and, you know, you get what you get throughout life. Uh, and this was my kind of belief getting into it. Um, but I, you know, kind of, kind of quickly realized after feeling tissues release and things like that, that, um, much like our, our brain, uh, and you know, our neuroplasticity, our bodies have the ability to change too. Um, they're just dealing a bit more with the, the physical environment as well. So they've, you know, developed certain mechanisms and compensations to deal with things. Um, and I guess that could be where you could kind of add the, the third component of the, the hybrid that neurosomatic therapy is, and that's physical therapy and the fact that, you know, we do give some, some stretching exercises and, and maybe some movement and, uh, strengthening things as well, uh, just depending on what the patient needs. But, uh, I have found that because we're using, uh, uh this hybrid kind of method, um, you can use these great parts of all these different modalities and actually become very efficient at working on people. Um, because when they're all used together, um, and I've had people explain or kind of describe it like, you know, just let's go, you know, there is no, I'm going to massage this, this muscle for, you know, 45 minutes, you know, in some cases that's required. Um, and most people, if you're systematically getting the dysfunction to release in their body, um, you'll find things just release kind of easier and easier and easier. Um, so in neurosomatic therapy in itself is, um, it's just, it's, it's beyond, I guess you could say the traditional scope of thinking. Um, there are people that believe in what we do and they, uh, they've heard of it or maybe experienced something similar before, but, uh, it's a very different experience than say, just going to get a massage, you know, once a week for ever or going to a chiropractic office and getting adjustments, but you know, maybe not feeling so great after one or, um, maybe things are just kind of stagnant, you know, there's really no progress, uh, in the treatment or in how you feel. And it can be that, you know, certain soft tissues are holding and not allowing the structure to move. Um, or they may just not be doing what you need, uh, to begin with. I had a, uh, a gentleman come in yesterday who, a uh, new patient <clears throat> who had some, uh, cranial issues, had back and hip pain. But once I started educating the gentleman on what was really going on and then come to find out he had a history of being, you know, semi pro football player and, uh, BMX rider, uh, you know, head traumas started getting factored in. So then we started going down that alley and I mean, I barely worked on this guy's hip. Um, but by, you know, affecting some things in his cranium, getting some things to shift and correct properly, we were able to figure out really what was going on. Um, and I know this cause guy's going to feel better when he comes back because we've addressed some of the core problems that are kind of wreaking havoc on his body. Um, instead of wasting, you know, hours and sessions on, you know, trying to beat up his hip and his, his hamstring to try to get something to release. Um, we can go about it in a smarter fashion and, I think that's why people feel it makes sense is, I mean, I could see this gentleman almost kind of light up and the wheels, you know, the cogs start moving in his head. 
and his brain uh, trying to piece together what we're explaining. And, and you can tell when people start to get it. And uh, I found that the, you know, the better you understand things as a therapist, the better you're going to be able to explain them, you know, to your patients. And um, this will kind of, I could segue right now into the whole trust thing, but um, we'll get, we'll circle back around to that. But it really does um, begin to build a uh, a deep amount of trust between the two of you, and they <clears throat> will be much more willing to go along with um, maybe other things that you need to do that may scare them. For example, we do eye treatments, and you know, working on the eye muscles can be very um, scary, you know, for some people. So to build some trust and you know that you legitimately know what you're doing. And in doing so, you're expressing, you know, your genuine care for this person's well-being and being and uh, being genuine about who you are as a practitioner. You kind of open that door to um, uh, make things easier in the future for not only you, but the patient, because uh, you've already started to build that trust, build that rapport up between the two of you. So, um, you know, being able to break this down and explain it to people um, really, I feel like, cultivates that what you would look for in a patient and doctor experience, which we're doctors by no means, but to, uh, to have that confidence between the two of you, um, and for them to be, you know, willing to come to you when they have problems and, and genuinely be honest about, um, kind of what's going on. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, neurosomatic therapy is, I would love to see, and, you know, more, uh, integrated, into modern medicine. Um, I think working alongside, you know, PTs, doctors, heck even, uh, you know, floating around the hospital, uh, working on, you know, post-operative patients. I mean, the, the scope of what neurosomatic therapy can impact is, is beyond what most people could ever imagine. Cause you never hear about this stuff. And then when you do, you literally look at every person, every profession, every athlete, every aspect of healthcare, and you could have a neurosomatic therapist in the office and they would be helping in some way. It's, it's, it's almost like this universal puzzle piece. Like, where do you want to stick them? So, uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, in my, my lifetime, um, I would like to see this work, uh, branch out, uh, extensively. And I think a lot of the things that, you know, people get caught up in with modern medicine and, and, uh, getting lack of results and getting better. They, um, they could just get better so much faster. And some of the things that they're depending on, they wouldn't depend on and the burden on healthcare would be tremendous or, uh, uh tremendously less. Um, cause people wouldn't be so needed of this, this support system that really isn't helping them. Um, so yeah, yeah. Hopefully in the future we'll, uh, we'll see more of this. And, uh, I think because, you know, we can make sense of what we're, the change we're creating in the body. Um, you know, people, you don't really have to convince people if you just tell them like, Hey, this gets results. This is what's happening. Um, there's nothing to buy into. They just go, Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. All right. Sign me up. So yeah, hopefully we'll have some more in the future. Um, Another question here, uh, significance of cranial distortions and why they're important. This is from a, uh, a colleague of mine. So, uh, 
<clears throat> I guess the easiest way to put it is, uh, and I could even loop back to the uh, the new patient that I'd referenced uh, that I'd seen Friday, Friday morning. Um, his cranial distortions were in such a way that his uh, his left temporal bone, his right hip, or his left hip, uh, were both flexed. Um, it was apparent that this gentleman had a leg length inequity. Uh, he had an x-ray uh, or an MRI report that he had brought with him uh, that also stated he had a, a mild scoliotic curve. Um, that was enough. I mean, looking at a previous chart and looking at um, uh, his MRI, uh, I had highly anticipated that this gentleman had a leg length inequity. Uh, immediately when I measured him, I started asking questions because when I saw how his cranium was correcting, or actually it was stuck, it wasn't correcting anymore. Uh, if his cranium was correcting properly, uh, his right temporal bone would have been flexed and his left ilium or his left hip would have been flexed. And uh, that would have been what way his body could have been dealing with um, that leg length inequity. Uh, oftentimes the hip will try to flex to lengthen it and the cranium will try to counterbalance that uh, by flexing the ear. And um, because I wasn't seeing that, I immediately knew that I needed to correct that that Lovett reactor mechanism that we've we've spoken about in previous podcasts. So um, that's when I asked questions about uh, his past. So he's a contractor now, but when. Uh, I asked him about his past. That's when he informed me that he was a semi-pro football player and then um, had told me about his BMX career and he definitely had some head traumas. Uh, I think one instance he said he actually woke up in the hospital or maybe in the ambulance. And um, so I, I knew this guy had been holding on to something. So instead of, uh, you know, just going right after his hip, I <clears throat> went back and assessed what the cranium was doing. So by going back, rechecking uh, his cranium uh, when he laid down and, and kind of comparing it to how it stood up uh, or was looking when he stood up, uh, I could tell that it was fixed. Uh, it was stuck on his left side. So uh, we got into, you know, clenching, um, you know, you a grinder and come to find out, you know, maybe not so much at night, but definitely during, during the day uh, when he would get stressed, he would uh, start to clench his teeth. So I took him through uh, our kind of facial protocol, went through, worked on his uh, his facial muscles, checked his masseters a little bit, and um, to my surprise, they were actually really tender. Uh, he was surprised at how painful it was um, and for how little effort. Again, if you understand what you're doing uh, and, and you're going about treating things the proper way, the effort on your part, uh, and ultimately this allows you to be able to, to treat for longer, uh, throughout your entire career, but longer throughout the day, uh, and to see a greater number of patients is you got to work smarter and not harder. So this guy was blown away by how much tension we found in his face. And sure enough, um, immediately, uh, I think I went back and forth, I don't know, two times, uh, rechecked his cranium. Everything had already started to shift. Everything was starting to fall back to where it needed to be. Uh, he had a slight rotation in his atlas. So I did a little levator work. Um, he had had that worked on previously. I could see there was a rotation there. So we got that to open up a little bit more uh, to get it back to center itself and just got all this pressure off his head immediately. 
And then I think his frontal bone was a little stuck. So we had to mobilize that a little bit. And then, um, at the end of the treatment, I stood him back up and lo and behold, his leg length actually looked more exaggerated. Uh, and this isn't uncommon. Uh, if you're telling the body to, uh, or I guess I should say, as we peel back the layers of dysfunction, um, your body can't support itself as much. So if you have a leg length issue, your body's going to try to balance that out as much as possible, which involves certain tissues contracting. Um, when you turn stuff off or detonify certain things by working on them, um, you'll see somebody maybe exaggerate when they stand up in their measurements, um, which is great because then you can, it reinforces what you're already seeing and you really, you don't want the body to be trying to compensate. You want to see the true version of it, what it's actually trying to do. So, um, he stood up immediately. His cranium switched like flexed on his right side, the way it should have been doing in the first place, which let me know, okay, he's, he does have the leg length because his body's still correcting for it. That hip was still flexed on the left side. But the fact that his cranium switched, let me know now that, okay, this gentleman's Lovett reactor or his cranial bones specifically are now going to be willing to work with the changes that we're making to the foundation. See the pelvis and the cranium have this relationship and they're, they have to be in harmony. Um, and harmony can be a state of dysfunction, but they have to be opposing one another. You know, they have to be opposites. So my fear or my concern is that when we see patients that are stuck in this fashion, a lot of times it comes from head traumas. That's a big deal right now. Everybody's paying attention to it because of football and you know, the, uh, I think they call them CTEs or something. Um, the, the damage that's being done, uh, we know while that damage is being done, uh, not only did you take a hit to the head that caused some shifts, um, but then the musculature that attaches to the cranium or uh, maybe works um, with the jaw, with the mandible, um, that tissue is going to respond. And it's also going to, the cranial bones will actually shift and respond to inflammation. If you have, you know, one side's more inflamed than the other, um, or swelling, I should say. Um, I've seen cranial bones actually migrate from that side. So we have these distortions form and then you heal up, you recover. Maybe, you know, it never happens again. Maybe it does whatever, whatever the case may be, but those distortions last and they don't just go away. And if they're not addressed, uh, like in this gentleman's situation, uh, my concern and my fear is that, uh, we recommend this gentleman gets a lift in his shoe. Uh, which by the way, it ended up being like four or five millimeters. Um, I think four. And if I put that in his shoe and his cranium was still stuck because the soft tissue was holding the structure, the bones in that position, he may, so this is kind of like the, how many possibilities could ever happen sort of thing. You know, he could, uh, maybe develop maybe some, uh, worse in neck issues, uh, because his cranium still would be stuck and his foundation would be trying to correct from the base up to the roof. Um, the other possibility is it could maybe, uh, cause his back to go into a, a, a spasm. A lot of times when I see, uh, patients and their backs are, you know, quote unquote thrown out and they're kind of kicked to the side. A lot of times they have love it reactor issues where, uh, the hips and the cranium have, uh, instead of opposing one another, got stuck on the same side. 
and uh, they're causing a greater amount of dysfunction throughout the spine. So regardless of what could happen, uh, being a practitioner, your goal is to make this process for any patient uh, as easy as possible. So just in doing your diligence and trying to avoid any complications for the patient uh, and complications for yourself, because if they have a problem, they're going to be calling you, um, to make the cranial corrections first and then reassess what the pelvis is doing. Because we could have been in a situation where because it was stuck on both sides, he didn't need a lift, period. You know, if, if, if I didn't see his cranium correct when we put the lifts underneath there and his head, his head was still flexed there, it could have still been trying to balance out what was going on in his hip. And by the way, I did check his hip. He had like one jolt of pain and then the thing let go. Um, and he didn't feel that same, that same sensation again. And also the, uh, uh, you could say the lump or the knot that I flipped over, um, almost immediately disappeared, uh, after that one kind of instance of just kind of cross fibering at one, one good time. Um, so the fact that his hip wasn't so resilient that it was stuck, um, and I was able to put that lift under there and see his cranial bones correcting, I knew we were on the right path. So that, again, this comes back to, you know, building that trust and confidence with the patient, because if they understand that, you know, what's actually happening and what you're expecting to happen is happening, um, they're immediately, they're all in. Okay. So, um, kind of back to the question, that's, that's really what I see as the significance of, of cranial distortions. It doesn't really matter what the distortion is. It doesn't matter if it's a jaw problem. It doesn't matter if it's a migraine problem. Um, you should always be paying attention to, uh, if the cranium is distorted period, if there have been previous head traumas, if there's been anything to maybe influence that area, um, hell even biting the inside of your cheek or, um, uh, excessively chewing gum on one side, you know, these small things people think don't really add much, but you know, when you're chewing gum for years and it's just like, it's something I do on occasion, you don't think about it, but by the time you're 50, you have some stuff that's tighter. So, um, not only appreciating what the cranium's doing, but also appreciating how the cranium's, uh, kind of reacting and, and working with the rest of the body. Um, and of course, are we getting the cranium not only stable when we lay down, um, but can we get it stable while the person's actually upright? You know, can we get the, uh, uh, the, the, the balance or the, the homeostasis back in the hips where everything's level, um, and get that to, you know, reciprocate in the, in the cranial bones as well. So, um, cranium can have a big impact on the rest of the body. Um, it can not only be extremely beneficial for people with neurological issues, um, if you've had, geez, I mean, I have a stroke patient right now, um, who has a lot of cranial vectors, um, a lot of pressure, uh, just from what his brain's gone through in response to the stroke. So, um, cranium's important regardless. A lot of times I'm, I'm checking, uh, the cranium, trying to balance the cranium long before I'm working on the rest of the body. Um, I kind of think of it like, you know, the head of the snake. Um, if you can control the head, if you can get the head to cooperate, uh, the body will cooperate. So, um, that's just kind of the approach that, that I've taken when it comes to cranial. And, and as the, uh, uh, years have gone on and I paid attention more to how the body's correcting and how things are working, uh, uh, in synergy to create or hold on to the body, body's current state of dysfunction. Uh, I've realized that, um, 
there's more and more significance there. So, uh, yeah, if I was a uh, neurosomatic therapist, I would be doing some cranial work. Uh, if you feel you have, you know, maybe been lacking a little bit or you're a little nervous on doing some measurements or, you know, anything, anything, um, you're not going to get better unless you try. And, uh, you know, fortunately for us, it's not that, uh, you know, if you make a mistake and you're in front of a patient, they don't necessarily recognize that you just made a mistake. Um, so there's a little bit of grace there. So, um, there may be some patients that you're currently treating that would tremendously benefit from some cranial work, or maybe some patients that, you know, you thought they needed lifts and you put them in there and they ended up in worse pain. And really they have some cranial distortions that are affecting the Levitt reactor and, and things aren't working properly. And if that's corrected, that functional imbalance could go away. So, um, so yeah, just keep that in mind. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. Appreciate the questions. Um, okay. Let's go ahead and segue on here. I think my little, uh, my little Bella shark's going to be awake soon. So, we're going to have to uh, to wrap this up with the uh, kind of building the trust uh, that I've touched on and uh, I mentioned in the beginning. Um, a note I had made here, uh, and I talk to myself sometimes, so uh, this was a note that I had made uh, after some things happening at the office and then, you know, coming home and uh, just kind of ruminating on, on what I had um, experienced and, and my thoughts on it. And... Um, I just noted making patients feel comfortable, uh, and trusting you and your abilities. Um, this is not an overnight process. Uh, what do results mean? What does education mean? Um, my biggest thing at my clinic is, uh, and this isn't an ego thing. This is a, uh, we get results thing. So results, uh, I've seen the potential of the type of work that we do, uh, there's very little excuse for patients not getting better in some way. Uh, I love the statement live pain-free because of what it represents. Um, the mindset of trying to live pain-free of the, uh, the eagerness and the willingness to try to better yourself. Um, you have to understand the work that you're doing to deliver a hundred percent so that patients are actually getting well if patients aren't getting well, they start to doubt your abilities because you had a sales pitch, et cetera, et cetera. They went through the process and they're lacking results. Now, if that's due to previous surgeries or limiting factors, that's a whole separate story. But my big thing is results because if you get results, uh, and even with the, the gentleman that I had previously been talking about, I didn't get him results in that treatment, but the other side is the education. And by educating him, he knows he's going to get results. So he, he immediately started building more confidence in me as a therapist and what I know and my abilities. So either you're treating well or you're at least educating the hell out of that patient. Um, you don't have to be a great therapist to be able to educate people. And a lot of what you've already learned as a therapist, um, most people will never know. So... Uh, you know, give whatever you have. Um, and if you say, if you don't know, then you don't know, you know, you, you don't have to dive into certain things and try to over explain something to a patient, but, um, to go through and, and legitimately care and, you know, share, say, Hey, uh, you know, 
this is what I'm trying to accomplish. This is what your body's doing. This is what I'm measuring. Uh, I mentioned this in previous uh, uh, podcasts, but you know, going through the the previous charts, charting is important. Hey, you know, I'm sorry you're not better. This is what we've been trying to do. This is what we're trying to achieve, and this is kind of the process. You know, this is you. This is your body. This is how it's changing. This is what I would like to happen, but it's not happening, and maybe I don't understand why, or. Uh, maybe it's a, an entrapment issue and, you know, you show them some anatomy books and explain to them how nerve entrapments, you know, work, that it's not always just from the spine or from a pinched nerve or something, or not a pinched nerve, but, um, a pinched nerve root. So little things like that. Um, so whether it's that, you know, you come out the gate and you're crushing it on day one and people are feeling good and they're responding from your treatments immediately, um, or you're educating them, there's multiple avenues to building that trust level, excuse me, that trust level with, uh, the patient and having them slowly build more confidence in, in your therapist and your abilities as a therapist. Um, this is a, uh, this kind of goes into this, um, but this is also a, uh, a patient, um, that I had seen, uh, probably a month and a half ago before the wedding and all that stuff, uh, had really got into high gear. Um, this young guy, he was, uh, around my age, about 30. Um, he came in, had a history of migraines, had a history of, uh, I think a lot of injuries and just a variety of stuff. Um, but he was a server. So he had some shoulder pain, all this stuff. So first thing to me, I'm thinking, okay, well, Let's see if you're level. Let's see what your foundation's doing. So we go take him through all the measurements. Come to find out he has a functional leg length inequity. So I know there's some cranial problems that are interrupting the way that his pelvis wants to behave. So long story short, we do some pelvic work, do some cranial work. Then his cranium starts to to correct out. Uh, I take him through mobilizations. Uh, Now this is a little side note on mobilizations, but and it can freak people out and freak therapists out. So I just want to talk about this for a sec, uh, just so people kind of, uh, can appreciate, um, kind of what neurosomatic therapy really does. Um, during the cranial corrections or after I'd finished them, uh, I took this gentleman through some cervical mobilizations. Now, mind you, we don't do adjustments, but during mobilizations and we do mobilizations a lot of times to, uh, get things to open back up again and create space after the soft tissues let go. So uh, when tissue's been stuck in a contraction or a state of dysfunction, um, and we release that tissue, uh, that muscle kind of needs stretch back out. So for example, we'll do some uh, spinal decompression and uh, maybe take somebody through uh, some rotation or uh, lateral movements. And in this particular case, uh, I had done the cranial work, had worked on his neck a little bit, his neck loosened up a lot. Um, I could just feel the tone of everything starting to calm down. So I knew that pressure was coming off of his central nervous system and I took him through just a range of motion. So took him all the way to the left, took him all the way to the right. And during this process, um, his neck cracked probably five times. Um, by no means was I trying to influence an adjustment. Um, I wasn't even really trying hard to turn his head. Um, his head just, as it moved, crack, 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 crack. So as a therapist, um, I've always tried to reinforce the fact that we're not chiropractors. Not only do I want that name, 
Um, but I don't want people to misinterpret what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. Um, but it's also another opportunity for education. So I took a moment to explain mobilizations and, and how joints will decompress or things will let go or joints will, or, uh, uh, structures, I should say, uh, will slide back into place or pop back into place when the soft tissue is no longer pulling them into an improper position. Um, it's a result of the body understanding where it should be aligned. So as the soft tissue releases or lets go and detonifies, whoop, all of a sudden the structure can adjust, things can transition and move. And a lot of times that results in some short-term popping uh, or clicking, uh, you know, shoulders, knees, etc. cetera. Uh, and then it goes away because the joints are able to realign themselves uh, and the soft tissue around the structure that's supporting the structures and moving the structures is much healthier now and back to a healthy length and doesn't have all that extra pressure on there. Um, so always try to explain that to patients. Um, and I'll make, you know, little jokes and stuff like that about it, but, um, they, uh, they'll appreciate the, you explaining what's happening, but also they're not, you know, most people have been to a chiropractor and they've ended up in your office cause it wasn't working or maybe, you know, they have neck problems and they're really freaked out about having their neck adjusted. So to, for us to do something and then for those types of, uh, uh, noises, you know, come up, come about when you're taking somebody through a mobilization, um, it can freak them out and it's very unexpected sometimes. So by, um, helping kind of explain that, that just, you know, that it does your patient a solid, uh, they'll appreciate it. And, uh, eventually, so towards the end of the treatment, this was, a. Uh, um, in the beginning looked like he needed to lift. I knew he needed some stuff to be corrected in his, in his cranium and his helmet in his pelvis. And, um, afterwards, uh, everything was correcting well. So this was a, a case where, uh, after his initial, uh, I sent him about and, uh, just asked him to go do some walking for me. Uh, when his, that pressure was taken off the Lovett reactor system and his body could work properly. Um, just general movement, just jog, uh, walking, does a tremendous amount for um, getting the body to adjust and uh, allowing the structures to kind of mobilize and move back to where they should be. Um, so uh, pretty neat. Uh, two cases where, uh, you know, one gentleman truly had a functional imbalance and the other guy uh, was in a state of uh, uh, Lovett reactor dysfunction. And when cleared up, it expressed that he had, uh, his body was correcting, uh, but it was correcting for an actual leg length. So, uh, two interesting cases and, um, a lot of info on, uh, on trust and, um, some great Q and A's. So, uh, I, now that I have a little more time, the wedding's passed. Uh, I have some other notes here from some patient cases. Uh, I'm going to get a little structure to them and, uh, try to get another podcast out, uh, next week and try to get back on, uh, on pace with everything. So, Hope you guys enjoyed the Q&As and uh, a little discussion on uh, kind of working with your patients and building that trust and um, not only getting results, but, um, you know, educating them, you know, giving them the, uh, the knowledge that they need. So uh, be well, everyone, and we'll see you on the other side.